Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Pro-abortion guidelines. The World Health Organization issues new guidelines aimed at ending the lives of innocent people by abortion. Obianuju Okocha, a biomedical scientist based in the United Kingdom, joins us to discuss these astonishing pro-abortion efforts by this international public health agency. Protecting the unborn. Guatemala is named the Ibero-American pro-life capital. President Alejandro Giamate has continued to publicly stand up for life in his country. Valerie Huber, founder and president of the Institute for Women's Health, shares the details behind the policies that set this nation apart, as well as the controversy surrounding the country's protection of life and family law. Exposing the lies. A new online course pulls back the curtain on the false claims of the abortion industry. Founder and president of Live Action, Lila Rose, joins us to discuss their new free course, the truth about defunding Planned Parenthood. Nearly 3 million Ukrainians have fled their country since Russia's initial attack on Kiev. We take a look at how the conflict is impacting families. The images we are about to show contain scenes of extreme violence and should not be viewed by young children. Just this week, a wounded pregnant mother and her baby died after the bombing of a maternity hospital in Mariupol, where she planned to give birth. Doctors say she suffered a crushed pelvis and could not be saved. Another pregnant woman, who was seen walking away from the hospital, gave birth to a baby girl named Veronica. The mother described the moment the maternity hospital was bombed, saying, We were lying in wards when glass, frames, windows, and walls flew apart. The World Health Organization has issued new misleading guidelines promoting abortion in an effort to, quote, help deliver life-saving care. In a pro-abortion push, this United Nations agency raises alarmist claims that limits on abortion could lead to unsafe abortions. A representative for the United Nations Health Agency called abortions essential, simple, and safe, regardless of the fact that the procedure kills babies. The issued guidelines failed to include support and resources for mothers in an unplanned pregnancy. And joining us now via Zoom is Obianuju Akocha, founder and president of Culture of Life Africa. She is a Nigerian biomedical scientist based in the United Kingdom and a prominent pro-life advocate. Obianuju, thanks for joining us today. Could you speak to us about these new guidelines? Are they a surprise to you? Actually, uh, this is unprecedented. In a way, we've known for many years now that the World Health Organization has been very well aligned with pro-abortion countries in the West. But never have we seen this kind of push, Prudence. Uh, a day after the International Women's Day on the 9th of March, they released this document. And yes and no, I am surprised. And in a way, I'm not surprised because they've only just taken a step further uh, into the most, I'd say, audacious push for abortion, asking countries to remove all forms of restrictions against abortion, including things like mandatory waiting periods. And as you said, this document absolutely has no offer whatsoever or no suggestions whatsoever in order to help women in crisis pregnancy situations that they don't want. Right. And the World Health Organization literally has a unit dedicated to unsafe abortions. And its head spokesperson recently said that women and girls need accurate family planning information in order to avoid unsafe abortions. What are your thoughts on this? What do they mean by accurate? 
Yeah, so they've been playing with language for some time now, and we all know that anybody who works in the pro-life movement would know exactly how the pro-abortion movement uh, seizes language and reduces it to confuse people. The World Health Organization has come into that business, uh, talking about accurate and uh, evidence-based uh, research. They are coming up with this document and saying that it's research from different countries, but without even putting into account the cultures and customs and values of people in these various countries. Uh, some of their figures as well are quite questionable. They are extrapolating numbers from countries where abortion is not legal and so no record is being kept. So you're, they're coming up with these very I'd say bloated numbers, and based on that, they are trying to force through policy. And for the first time ever, really, we're seeing so much money being officially now put by the World Health Organization to this issue of abortion, because this time around, unlike before, they're actually joining up with several organizations, including the World Bank, and they're asking for investments in abortion, uh, you know, in abortion workers and abortion services. This is unprecedented. Mm. And these guidelines cite that most deaths caused by abortion occur in lower income continents like Africa and Asia. What can you tell us about this? You and I both know abortion causes at least one death in every place that it occurs. Isn't that right? Yeah, of course. But when they're talking about the death in abortion, uh, they refuse to acknowledge the death of the unborn child, the death of the pre-born child that is always killed in every country, whether it's developed or undeveloped country. Abortion always causes death, whether it's done legally, whether it is done illegally. Uh, but this time around, as they are pushing it, it's going to even cause more damage, more danger in countries where uh, women actually have no recourse or they don't have easy access to healthcare, uh, the healthcare industry. As we know, abortion comes with its own several complications and how are we going to manage that in developing countries when the you know these international organizations are forcing uh, this uh, these kinds of uh, principles and values on us mm. and how does your organization specifically culture of life africa help women in unexpected pregnancies how are you influencing the culture at the moment, we're only limited to just doing research and studying the documents that are coming out, the statistics, the numbers. Because in, in you know, on the African continent, it's not actually easy, or rather it's easier said than done to, to be there and help the women. But this can be done through several organizations. This can be done through several networks, like the Catholic Church that does a lot of things through religious congregations. Africa is a huge continent of one billion, you know, one billion people. So it's kind of hard for one single organization uh, to do anything in particular to be there in crisis situation, uh, crisis pregnancy situations. So we are appealing to people uh, to kind of think about Africa in such a way that this is an area where this kind of intervention is needed. We do need a lot of help for women, especially in, in you know situations like crisis pregnancy situations. We don't need abortion, this kind of abortion uh, effort that the World Health Organization is making. Women need interventions and help, real help, in crisis pregnancy situations. Yes, I could not agree with you more. Obia Nujuo Kocha of Culture of Life Africa, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And heading now to Guatemala, the nation has just been named the pro-life capital of Ibero-America. A first-of-its-kind ceremony marked the occasion in which the nation's leaders unveiled a pro-life monument in the National Palace of Culture. 
Guatemalan President Alejandro Jamate said in a recent speech that in Guatemala, each institution has a clear direction and coordination in respecting life and the protection of the family as the central axis of society. In past years, Planned Parenthood has been prohibited from the country, as well as an initiative called Women on Waves, whose members intended to pick up women on ships and take them into international waters to perform abortions, quote-unquote, legally. And joining us now for more on Guatemala is Valerie Huber, founder and president of the Institute for Women's Health. Valerie, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I want to get started uh, just asking you about sharing with us why Guatemala deserves to be known as the pro-life capital of this particular region. What sets them apart in terms of their policy? Well, I'm so glad you're highlighting Guatemala and what happened there. I just returned this weekend from Guatemala. Oh, and, you know, I think that though Guatemala is a small country of, I believe, about 17 million people, they can serve as a model to the world, particularly in Latin America, but beyond that. So there are two specific things that Guatemala did setting itself apart. The first was they created a policy on the promotion of life and family that was adopted last year. Uh, and actually, President Jamate um, rolled it out on a Sunday as uh, a, his showing of his, um, you know, belief that this was an offering to God. Yes. In doing so, it, it is intended to coordinate um, a streamlined, seamless policy in the support of life and family throughout every, every part of government. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, it has to be implemented into programs, but this is a first important step which, to my knowledge, has not been done in other, any other country. Mm. So it's very important. The second thing is that last October, Guatemala became the most recent member of the Geneva Consensus Declaration yes. Coalition. Yes. And I will say that it was at that point when I was invited to join the president in, in Guatemala City when he signed the, the declaration, I saw a head of state that was more courageous than almost any head of state that I have met in terms of his promotion of life and also his warning to countries mm. that any kind of external influence to try to pressure them to change their stance on abortion was undue internal influence in their internal affairs. And I really applauded the president for that. Yes, courageous indeed. And I'm hoping that you can clear something up for us, Valerie. Guatemala's Viva Party recently reintroduced legislation in that country that could potentially imprison women for up to 10 years if they were to commit an abortion. Now, uh, I understand President Jamate opposes the legislation, but outlets like The New York Times are claiming that it's about to be the law of the land. Can you clear things up for us? What's going on? Here. Yes. So I was in Guatemala when this was all taking place, and it was fascinating. I believe that members of the Guatemalan uh, Congress had the right intent, and that was to show their protection for life. Right. However, what emanated from Congress was not the right way to do that. And I actually, as soon as I saw the legislation, I began praying that President Jamate would indicate he would veto the bill. But there's another part to that story, too, and that is the president of Congress in Guatemala, who is uh, a courageous pro-life advocate as well, 
concurred with the president that this bill was dead. I see. So in both of them doing that, that means there is a new opportunity for their Congress to get it right. Mm. I wanted to shift gears to Hungary um, for the end of our discussion. I understand that Katalin Novak was just elected president of Hungary, and she's worked closely with Prime Minister Viktor Orban, who is known to be very pro-life. What does this mean for Hungary and, and the future of uh, pro-life policies in their nation? Well, I'm just so pleased that uh, Katalin Novak became the first female president of Hungary. She formerly served as Minister of Families. So all the family-friendly policies that, again, are setting a model for the world in, in the family space uh, were under the, the care and direction and um, wonderful uh, authority of Catalan. So we know that she is the right person for this job. Mm -hmm. And when I listened to her speech on that day that she was elected, I saw a courageous woman who can serve as another model for leaders around the world, but this time in Europe. Mm, so exciting to see all of this pro-life momentum across the world. Valerie Huber of the Institute for Women's Health, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Coming up, we take a closer look at the 2022 omnibus spending bill passed by Congress last week. We'll tell you why it's raising concerns among pro-lifers. Plus, a new free online course is exposing the pro-abortion claims by Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion business. We're joined by Lila Rose next. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Democrats continue to push for abortion on demand at the federal level. The House of Representatives have voted to advance a massive spending bill that includes the Hyde Amendment, but still raises some pro-life concerns. Meanwhile, in the states, Colorado and Maryland moved to enshrine abortion on demand, while constituents in the progressive city of Alexandria, Virginia, defeat a pro-abortion measure to, quote, honor abortion providers. And joining me now in studio to break all of this down is Jamie Dangers, legislative director at Susan B. Anthony List. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's get started with the spending bill. It does include the Hyde Amendment, but there are certain pro-life members of Congress saying that there are still issues with the bill. Can you explain what those are? Yes, the omnibus package, which is all of the federal funding bills put into one, is always a mixed bag. There's gonna be some good, some bad, some in between. But I think it's important to step back and look at the full picture, mm -hmm. because truly a crisis was averted. Uh, we had pro-abortion members of Congress who campaigned on stripping the Hyde Amendment and the other pro-life protections in federal funding bills. And their bills that they originally passed through the House actually did that. They removed the Hyde Amendment and all the similar restrictions. I they see. removed conscience protections. They put in Planned Parenthood earmarks. Uh, there was all kinds of increased funding for problematic funding streams like Title X, which is no longer protected by Trump-era rules. And um, so we at Susan B. Anthony List partnered with pro-life groups and members of Congress for months of sustained efforts to ensure that those things would not make it into the final package. Mm. So while, yes, there is always room for improvement, we are just astounded at the fact that all of the restrictions were still in law, are still in law, mm. even while we're in the minority in the House and the Senate 
and under a hostile administration. Mm. And the problematic funding streams were not plus up to as they were originally in the House. Mm. Thank you for explaining that. And I want to shift to the states for the rest of our discussion. I understand Maryland is on the verge of enshrining abortion in their constitution. Colorado is about to pass a law that's worse than Roe versus Wade. So I want to ask you, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, what's it going to take to change the culture in states like this? It is really tragic to see what's happening in Colorado, where I came from, mm. and in neighboring Maryland right here. There's a lot of fear-mongering going on with the, the pro-abortion lobby. Yeah. Because Roe is seen as under threat right now as we wait for the Supreme Court ruling in Dobbs, right. they're really rallying pro-abortion states to do all they can to double down on abortion access. Mm. And what's simultaneously encouraging is to see pro-lifers in those states rallying to try to fight against these terrible things. Those laws, those amendments are so extreme and so far outside of what most Americans believe. Mm. More than two-thirds of Americans want restrictions on abortion. And in Colorado, we saw the longest sustained filibuster by the House Republicans in state history to try to stop this bill. Wow. So I think these debates and, you know, while what's happening is terrible, right. the debates are starting to wake people up to what is at stake and what these things really mean. Mm. And shifting to Virginia, the people of Alexandria, where I happen to be from, they just defeated a measure that would have forced Alexandrians to observe a day honoring abortion providers. Can you tell us what you know about this and who was behind putting a stop to it? This was another uh, crisis averted, I think you could say, yes. and an example of when the church rises up, because it is unconscionable to think of a day honoring those whose job it is to take unborn life. We should be celebrating true heroes, the moms that are keeping their babies in these really difficult situations. Yes. They are the heroes. And it was amazing to see, especially the Arlington Diocese and other um, pro-life organizations and individuals in the Alexandria, Arlington, Nova area, rise up and say, we, we will not stand for this. And eventually it was pulled in what I think is a victory for the church. Yes, yeah, I could not agree more. And I briefly want to get your thoughts on West Virginia's new uh, bill that was just passed in the House of Delegates, the Unborn Child with Down Syndrome Protection and Education Act. Can you tell us about this? This is very exciting for me personally. I have a sister who has Down Syndrome, and these laws are always so exciting. Again, it's one of those ideas, it's just hard to imagine the targeting of a particular class of people yes. because of the number of chromosomes they have. Um, in West Virginia, this was quite a fight. Uh, the debate was very rigorous mm -hmm. and really a victory to ensure that little ones with Down syndrome with that extra chromosome are not targeted for discriminatory abortions. People with Down syndrome have happy lives and their lives are no less valuable because they have a different number of chromosomes than you or I have. Yes. So I think it's really important these laws help to teach that humans are valuable because they are human and not because of what their potential is mm. or their chromosomes or what they can contribute to society. Yes. They are valuable, and this was a huge victory in a very pro-life state mm. in West Virginia. I could not agree with you more. Thank you so much for keeping a pulse on all of this. Jamie Dangers of the Susan B. Anthony List. Thanks, Prudence.
A profile in the Los Angeles Times glamorizes the abortion industry and covers up the shoddy medical history of Colorado abortionist Warren Hearn. I speak out. As the state of Colorado moves to advance a law that is worse than Roe and explicitly revoke the rights of unborn babies, 83-year-old abortionist Warren Hearn is being praised for having thus far ended the lives of 20,000 babies by abortion in Colorado at his private facility, Boulder Abortion Clinic. Framed in this profile as a kind-hearted man who has served in the Peace Corps, Hearn also described the experience of the first time he killed a child by abortion as the moment when he first thought of the practice of medicine as an act of compassion and love for one's fellow human beings. Talk about twisted. A little-known fact about Hearn, in 2016, he facilitated an incomplete abortion for Jennifer DeBurr, who suffered terrible complications because remnants of her child's skull became lodged in her uterus. She can no longer have children. With life winning across the nation, we are seeing more desperate attempts from the abortion lobby and the mainstream media to propagate stories of abortionists like Hearn with the intent to tug on people's heartstrings. But you know what's actually heart-wrenching? The death of millions of people by abortion every day. The LA Times piece ends with a dramatic image of Hearn sitting at his grand piano, sobbing, because his job wears on him and he fears for the future of abortion in America. If he wants to sleep a bit more soundly, he should, for starters, stop killing innocent people who are the future of our society. The pro-life group Live Action has released a new, free online course explaining the harms caused by the nation's largest abortion business, Planned Parenthood. The course, titled The Truth About Defunding Planned Parenthood, explains why the pro-abortion business is not the pro-woman organization it claims to be. Planned Parenthood receives over $618 million in government funding each year. That's over half a billion of our tax dollars. Lila Rose, president and founder of Live Action, joined us earlier this month to discuss the five-session course. Take a look. Joining us now via Skype is Lila Rose, founder and president of Live Action. Lila, Live Action recently reported that Planned Parenthood receives $618 million in taxpayer funds each year. That's over half a billion dollars. Can you tell us about Live Action's campaign to mobilize people to defund Planned Parenthood through this new online course that you're offering? I'd love to. So we've been working for over a decade to defund Planned Parenthood, and that's been successful in 10-plus states now. But at the federal level, the federal government continues to pour taxpayer dollars into the abortion chain. So that's about $1.7 million every single day that taxpayers have to fund the biggest abortion chain. Planned Parenthood kills over 300,000 children annually, 900 children killed a day. It's catastrophic. The first step is education. I mean, most, most voters don't even know this. Most voters actually are opposed to funding abortion. They don't want to do this, even if they support abortion. In some situations, they don't like taxpayer dollars funding it. So Live Action's course is really educational to make sure that people have the basic facts, that our taxpayer dollars are flowing into Planned Parenthood, and then walks people through basic facts about Planned Parenthood. Many people have this impression that Planned Parenthood is this women's health organization, but they're not. They're the biggest killer in American history, leading the lobbying on Capitol Hill to expand the killing of children in the womb, as well as themselves killing 900 children a day in their facilities. They're also ridden with tons of criminal activity, unethical activity, 
We've documented that at Live Action through undercover investigative reporting, and it's also been documented by other organizations. But the bottom line is, this is a corporation that should be not only not receiving taxpayer dollars, but they need to be shut down and criminally prosecuted for their crimes against humanity. Right. Now, Lila, those who support Planned Parenthood do so because they believe it's the only way that poor women and women of color will receive the, quote, care that they need. What's your response to that? We can very simply redirect taxpayer dollars to facilities that actually provide health care to women, low-income women, that are federally qualified health centers that do not commit atrocities like abortion, that there are actually hundreds of federally qualified centers in this country, um, many more than abortion facilities and many more than Planned Parenthood facilities. So this idea that we have to fund an abortion facility to care for women is an outright lie. They kill children. They don't care for women. And that money should actually go towards health centers that do the real care that women deserve. What's your take on the claim that women need abortion to succeed? I mean, it's very offensive to say that we need violence against children when motherhood is what makes us unique as women. Our ability to bring life into the world is our superpower. To say that we have to kill a child to be empowered. What kind of sick system has been set up that dictates that lie to us. I think we need to fully and wholeheartedly reject it, demand better for women, say that motherhood is a gift, not a curse. Babies are a blessing and not a burden. And we need to be supporting each other as sisters and demanding that men and demanding that employers and demanding that our society, instead of forcing women to choose be a mother or you can't economically provide for yourself or you can't advance and pursue your intellectual abilities and use them. I think we need to reject that false paradigm and ask for better from corporate America to be more accommodating to working moms and more flexible, as well as challenging men to say, listen, you don't get to just abandon women when they're pregnant in a moment of need and send them off to an abortion clinic. That is toxic. Uh, that is a, a rejection of true masculinity. And instead, we need to be upholding the vulnerable. And that means mothers, especially when they're pregnant, and the babies that they're carrying. And Lila, switching gears, with the Dobbs case just around the corner, what's Live Action's top priority right now? This is a tremendous moment, as many know, a historic moment in our movement. The Dobbs v. Jackson case that's going to be decided in just the next few months could undo so much of the damage of Roe v. Wade. It would at least uh, potentially give states the power to protect children in their vicinities, and that means that there will be a lot more lives saved. What do we need to do at Live Action? We need to go, especially to the blue states, places where they are very pro-choice politically or pro-abortion politically, and work on that personal transformation. We can't give up the culture battle. We have to culture build. We have to go in and educate people. We have to inspire them with the beauty of the child, show them some of our powerful campaigns like Olivia, showing the humanity of the baby and mm, the, yes. the lifelike development of the child in the womb, exposing the evil of abortion. To do these things takes quiet daily work, but that is truly the way that we're going to change the culture and build the culture of life that we all want to see. Mm, so truthful. Lila Rose, founder and president of Live Action, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. And that does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.